0: Well, let me welcome you tonight to another uh, another part of our series in the authenticity series, an honest, real look at the life of a pastor. Uh, I hope that you've been able to access some of the other videos and some of the other events that we've done on the website. And tonight we're going to be taking a look at, and discussing together uh, kind of the balance. How do we balance ministry and family responsibilities uh, in the in the heat of real ministry? And so we're excited about that. Excited to have students here with us and. Excited to have these, these panelists here. Let me introduce these guys, and let me let you let them tell you about themselves a little bit. Dr. David Horner, founding pastor. Founding? Well, founding. No. no? Yeah. 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 Sure. I thought you were. You started Providence Baptist Church. We well, did. God did, but you helped him, or, yeah. and he used you. 1978.
1: He got around me.
0: Yep. I mean, so, what we ought to be doing tonight is probably. Probably, like, how do you maintain a long tenure somewhere? We could be doing that tonight, too, couldn't we? Yeah. 1978, yeah. and since then, at Providence Baptist Church here in Raleigh, and, uh, and founding pastor there. And I want to have you tell you about your family in just okay. a second. Great. Let's and then Dr. Down. Jamie Dew, the uh, dean of the college at Southeastern, and also vice president for undergraduate studies, and I believe associate professor of history of ideas and philosophy. That's right. Teaching here for several years, and... And uh, appreciate you guys being with us tonight and looking forward to just this, this dialogue. So as we get started, let's just uh, let's talk about ourselves just for a second okay. and our families just to give perspective on kind of where we're coming from, from a family perspective. And uh, and we'll go from there. So, Dr. Do tell us a little bit, because we, we have good representation here. We have some younger kids and we have some adult kids and grandkids. So, J- Jamie, tell us a little bit about your family.
2: Sure. So my wife and I, Tara, we married in 2000, December of 2000. We dated on and off for about six and a half years, and so uh, had a pretty strong relationship. Got married right in the middle of my first pastorate. I was there for a year, six months before, six months after. We got married in December there. Uh, We waited quite a few years to have kids, and then um, about six and a half, seven years in, um, we had a set of twins. And uh, that was completely a curveball, not expected, nothing like that. And uh, boy-girl mm-hmm. twins, Nathan and Natalie, they're seven now. They're about to be eight in April. And then uh, a couple years later, right about the time we were beginning to talk about the possibility of more kids, we got, uh, she got pregnant with another set of twins. Mm-hmm. And once again, boy-girl twins, fluke thing, crazy bizarre. And uh, so there I was, four kids under the age of three and um, didn't know what to do. Those first couple weeks were just absolute chaos. And so the Sams, Samuel and Samantha, we call them the Nats and the Sams. We call them the Bigs, the Littles. We call them all kinds of things. And it depends on how good they're being at that time. Um, so we've got we've got four kids, two sets of twins, the Nats and the Sams, seven and four. They're about to be eight and five, of course. So, um, yeah, it's been wide open. And, uh, so, so
1: why are John and I here? I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> We just need to sit down we, and just say, hey, We were just talk. considering so, creating a reality show there
2: you for go, you that's and that's your that's family. You know, th- yeah. there, were, there were a lot of nurses in the hospital that said, You've got to contact the news. That's right. Like, no, yeah. whatever oh, you do, don't do that's that. That's impressive.
0: Oh, and so uh, just a lot of diapers all at once. <laughs> a lot
1: of diapers. Yeah, that's, that's, right.
0: in, that's impressive. So, <laughs> Dr. Horner, what about your family? We've never had twins. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, we do have the distinction of at one time having two sets of quads in our church at the same time. They were about six months Apart in age, and then we had another woman whose uh, sister, who lived in Durham, had quads. And so when those three families showed up for Sunday school, uh, there was your class, and uh, it was amazing. But two sets of twins it's just crazy. Um, Kathy and I've been married since '73, and uh, and so we just um, celebrated 41 back in August. Uh, we're loving that. And um, if she were here, you would be thinking, "Why do you look like you do, and why does she look like she's?" probably in her 30s. Uh, So anyway, she's a very gracious lady and puts up with a lot of that. We have three sons who are all married now. Um, Two of them are seminary grads, both of them teaching in Christian schools. Um, One of them has a 7-year-old and a 4-year-old, teaches down in the Atlanta area. And then the one who graduated from here is teaching at uh, Trinity Academy here in Raleigh, and they've got a 1-year-old. And then our middle son and his wife. We're in Charlotte for about 10 years and then moved back here in November of last year. And they've got a, a little four-year-old, almost four-year-old son, and the first granddaughter in four generations. Yes. So um, she's not spoiled or anything. Yeah, Not at all. Not at all. Finally, little dresses. Again. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. And she owns us. So yeah. that's our crew. Yeah. That's uh, good. So five grandkids.
0: Wow, that's impressive. You have me beat. So uh, I'm Dr. John Ewart. I'm an associate vice president for Global Theological Initiatives here at Southeastern, and also I direct the Center for uh, Pastoral Leadership and Preaching and a few other things. And so um, I'm to Tree. So we actually went to high school together, Uh, although we were not dating then, kind of ran in different circles. I re-met her after I had been a journeyman, Mm -hmm. and we got married almost immediately upon my return to the United States of America. I think that was a necessary event. You know, I was ready at that point, and, and uh, God ordained and moved that along. We have three kids, and they we we still have we have a what we call the seminary gap, to where we have an older son who's married and has three grandkids. Uh, we have three grandkids. They live in Oklahoma, and so we're we're distant from them. And then I still have two younger kids who are in college now, and so we've just started empty nesting about a year ago, and that's been a new experience for us when we we finally uh did that and that changed a whole lot of our dynamics so but i only have three grand or two grandkids and so i guess i'm praying for That's that right. third yeah. one cause yeah. i kept saying yeah. that but two grandkids yeah. yeah i have a boy and a girl grandchild and we got this we get to see them every now and then but not enough so it's good that yours are close so tonight what we want to do is, is we really want to talk just share testimonies and maybe a few principles and ideas one of the things i always try to get across to to students and pastors and, and friends and others is that, you know, in ministry it's really easy, very easy, to sacrifice uh, very important things in your life, like your family. Uh, you'll find yourself so busy doing good things and, and important things that at times you'll be distracted away and you'll find yourself robbing from quality time uh, with your wife or your kids. Or, and, and so how do we balance that? And one of the things I always try to help remind myself, and I tell others, is that you know my number one discipleship responsibility is me. I, I and I know that might sound that selfish, but if I'm not walking with God, I'm not even good to anybody. And so I need to make sure that I'm spiritually healthy, you know, and that I'm spiritually disciplined. And and some to be honest with you, uh, we probably could do a whole session on on my hypocrisy in saying that because. And the distraction and failure I might have at times is the fact that I haven't kept myself spiritually healthy enough, even in the midst of ministry, because you get so busy sometimes. I've had the privilege, as these guys have, of pastoring full-time for many, many years. I pastored for over 20 years before I ever went to work in the seminary, and pastored churches that were growing, and God was blessing, and so everything everything was quote-unquote good, you know. And yet, it, and yet that takes a lot of time and energy and effort. And then, and then I always want to encourage people that then, then you got to look at your spouse and that discipleship responsibility, and your kids, and really think through what does that mean. You know, how do I disciple my family? How do I, how do I make sure that they're spiritually healthy? And then, how do I balance the demands of ministry, and my time and my life with that responsibility? And so that, that's kind of where I'm going to jump off. And so, so let, let's just, uh, let's just confess and confide with one another a little bit about. You know, if I were just to throw out the big softball question of how how do you see yourself balancing ministry and family, what are just some initial thoughts that you might have
1: in that area? Well, I think the first part is just to um, understand that our tendency as pastors is to think of the big sacrifice we're making. You know, we're giving it all up to the Lord and all this stuff. And and then remember that um, our wives are probably giving up more in some respects and so they've got to be every bit as called to ministry as we are and that part is huge um, because what happens on the day you become a pastor as a married man you're not just her husband you're now her pastor Uh, that's sobering and realize that I'm the only pastor she's ever going to know unless I pass away before her and and that's just a sobering thing and so what you were just talking about about being uh, the pastor in my home um it's critical. Uh, the, the responsibilities are matched by the requirements of Scripture in terms of qualification. When you're looking at Titus or Timothy, uh, it's no accident that that's one of the criteria. If you can't handle your home, don't try this. And uh, so, therefore, you need to be a good manager of your own household. You need to be the husband of one wife. You need to be able to understand how that personal discipleship impacts her and then the kids' um, and I'll be quiet there because I got a ton of other things to say about that. But, but Jamie, sure. yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, tremendous amount amounts of wisdom right there in making sure to back up before you even get into the pastorate, before you even get into marriage. When you're dating, and you know, if you're watching this, or even if you're here tonight and, you have, and you're not there yet, I would just kind of echo: you really do need to make the the wise decision on what you're doing there in terms of just marriage. Mm-hmm. And I say that because it's kind of – now, the issue of time management came up in my ministry, my pastoral ministry, all the time, sure. But in many ways, it's kind of an easy question for me in this sense. My wife was so, so deeply called into ministry with me that until we had kids, I don't – honestly, I don't ever think that there was a moment where our marriage, it felt like – you know, I was neglecting her because when I would come home, she's trying to push me back into the trenches because that's where she wants to be. So for her, I mean, she really had a front-line mentality where she always wanted to be involved in those types of things, and it was, it was quite glorious in that sense. Now, we still had to do maintenance and pull back and just go to a movie or something like that, sure, but, man, just having her with that disposition was an enormous help to me, and it alleviated a lot of those pressures. Now, by contrast... Um, I look at a lot of my friends that started off with me at, at Bible college and came here to seminary, and uh, you know I get, I get it. They're eager to get married, and they get married, and you know in some cases I'd, I'd encourage, you know, bro, <laughs> don't do this, and no, uh, we didn't go do it anyway, and, and you know those don't last long. So I mean I would say you, you really do have to pay attention to that well before you even get into marriage, well before you even get into ministry, pastoral ministry. Um, once you're there, you know, yeah, you're constantly having to be alert and pay attention to types of things and be in regular communication with your wife and have a, a real honest sense of where she's at and where they're at. And, and, and we'll talk about this more as it goes on. But in my case, this issue became a much bigger issue as my children came into the picture.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and just how many stories do we all know of, of folks who are no longer in ministry, mm-hmm. primarily because of the fact that the spouse just either couldn't handle it or because they, they lacked a calling. I mean, I can't tell you the, the number of friends that I have who are selling furniture or working in retail now. And
2: they went to school for years and
0: years and years. Years and so, years. Yeah, years and years. And even served some for some years. But but their but their spouse just couldn't handle and couldn't take it. And, and so I'm so thankful in my own life that my wife was called to ministry before we remet. You know, uh, and and when I re-met her, she was working with the Home mission board at the time and, and was, was on fire and ready to move forward. That was so
1: crucial for us because she, she understands and she gets it, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's a part of it. We were at a church planters conference several years ago, and the guy was speaking to a whole room full, and there was a lot of young couples out there. And he looked at the guys who were, you know, talking about yeah. the best to be church planters, and we wouldn't get out there. And he said, let me just ask you, have you asked your wife, if she's willing to be a church planner's wife. And then ask her if she's excited to be a church planner's right. wife. If she's willing to be, you're not ready. Yeah, she, she can't be just willing. She needs to be excited about it. And, and you need to share this thing together. And I think that's a part of what we're talking about because you were, what, six and a half years dating. Kathy and I had known each other for over five years before we actually started dating and, and moving toward a, uh, a marriage relationship. And so we knew each other. We knew our heart. We knew our ministry passions. Um, and this is not self effacing she is a ton smarter than i am uh i mean scary smarter than i am yeah, is there and, a reason
0: uh, that that would be hard for me to understand or no,
1: no because they don't know they don't know <laughs> oh that's know. True. You, they you don't have, know yeah, you all they don't know that's i mean true. i look good I'm on sorry. camera so i was they don't know i, I, I forgot what we were doing for yeah, toys her. in the attic but you. she really is and so her her insights uh and her perspectives are are so valuable in um so when we talk about things i, I feel like i'm I, mean, I need to be taking notes sometimes, so it's it's huge to have that kind of, of backup. And uh, so she's just been a a champ, and just trust her instincts, her yes. judgment, her wisdom. Yeah, that's good stuff.
0: So let me let me just kind of guide us through a couple of topics. One is let's let's talk for a few moments about maybe some specific practices, principles about discipleship in the home with our families, and then I'm going to move toward that time management scenario. And, and and eventually, I want us to make sure we, we spend a little time about, you know, how do you protect your family sometimes in ministry if you need to, and, and what do you expose them to, what do you not expose them to, because I think there would be a question that a lot of folks who will be watching this might have, because some of the folks who are going to be watching this might be in crisis situations already, uh, unhealthy situations, trying to figure out how to maneuver in some landmines. But let's talk a little bit. How? What are just some best practices, some good ideas, or absolute failures in the area of of discipleship in your marriage, discipleship with your kids in the in the home and that kind of stuff. So so how, how has that been moving? You start in your with life? the failures and you I pick it up saying, and I fix would be it. i glad yeah. to start with the failures. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think most most of us honestly would be more in the how did you mess up? Oh, I got it cataloged. Uh, they're in alphabetical order. Yeah, I mean there's just a ton of stuff. But I, I think one of those things is just the the starting of your marriage in in ministry praying together yeah. i can pray with a lot of people i have the more difficult time praying with my wife yeah. than than i do with others sometimes because we're so close and we're doing so many things together we just sort of assume sometimes and so carving out that time to pray and some of the failures is when we'd start and i was just sharing this with the class earlier um i'd, I'd pray around the earth and back and and when it gets her time she's going like what am I supposed to say? I mean, you know, you've already prayed about everything, so why, you know, Amen. And then I'm thinking, oh, I am obviously so much more spiritual than you are, because uh, I look, I just prayed around the world. I could have been Billy Graham praying. And then, and she just says, in Jesus' name, Amen. You know, I'm thinking, what, what's the deal? Why don't you pray? And she's said, you prayed about everything. What am I supposed to do? You know, and uh, and so let's get together and prayerfully argue a little bit. And and so that was a failure. I was not doing a very good job of learning how to pray with her. And, uh, and so that was an early failure before any kids were even on the scene uh, that we had to learn how. And there's still, you know, 41 years later, that's still something we have to work on. It's just not something we can take naturally and just like this is something we easily do.
0: Sure, yeah, sure. Dr. D., you have some younger kids. Talk to me a little bit about what are you doing, what are you trying to do, what do you wish you did.
2: Yeah, I wish, I'll start there, I wish prior to them coming along, I had been a better leader of my wife, praying for her. That's an area. So we may have never struggled as much with the quote-unquote time together piece of that because she's so pushing me into the trenches and, and with me there. Um, but I was an utter failure you know, throughout most of my pastorate on really praying with her. And I think it's because you spend so much time praying and doing these things. And frankly, by the time you get home, and she's such a relief to me. She's such a haven to me that by the time I get there, I'm kind of... And uh yet she needs me. So I think that that's a failure there. I wish I'd have done a better job prior to kids and then throughout my pastorate. Um kids are interesting. And um because in some ways the discipleship of your children is kind of formal. You know, you have your set prayer times and things that you're doing. And then, you know, kids just have a way of asking questions at the oddest time, in the oddest way, about the oddest things that you realize in that moment this is the perfect opportunity to teach them something. So in in many ways, the discipleship of our children takes a very organic, very natural, very unscripted format Mm -hmm. where throughout everything we do in life, we really try to show when we're in Target, we're in Home Depot, we're doing anything the way we're interacting with people and we're very conscious to when we get back in the car and say now notice that mommy and daddy treated that man this way or that way and talk to them about how Jesus would have us to do it Um, and so throughout the whole of life and I think that this is really I remember early on preaching passionately preaching from Deuteronomy chapter 6 to four different churches that that we would get together every August Um, the Shema you know where you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and then you're to teach these things diligently to your children. And it's interesting, he says, you, you talk about them when you lie down and you talk about them when you walk by the way and you talk about them throughout the whole of life. And so we try to be very, very conscious of what's happening moment by moment and explain to them why we respond that way. And then, of course, we do the obvious things like, you know, we're, we're doing things like praying with our children and reading scripture with our children. And we do, we, we've used the children's storybooks to do that. Um, We do use the Jesus Storybook Bible. They're old enough now where we're beginning to transition to the actual text itself and and have dialogue. And so really, you know, a lot of things that you might expect us to be doing, but then the organic piece of that I think is honestly probably one of the most fruitful pieces of our discipleship for our children.
1: We actually use Kittle and um, work through the verbs and the, no, no, that's a lie. That's well, let me tell you what we do. To, yeah, wait a, a minute. Way. I know what no, you, you do. You're a trustee for yeah. LifeWay. No, no, I'm telling so Go I'm to selling the LifeWay, Lifeway. bookstore no. and buy the children's store. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, what, we, what we did, just what Jamie was saying, that that informal time, uh, all, all three of our kids, we went to public schools. And so at dinner time, we we deprogrammed. And that's when we find out what's going on. What are you being taught? What do you think about that? How does that compare to what you understand the scriptures teaching on that, and, and that became the informal time, and then um, we made it a regular practice to just divide and conquer with these three boys, and, and take them one on one with us, different places. And those car conversations are powerful moments to really find out what's going on in that little mind. Um, two of our four kids, uh, two of our three kids, prayed to receive Christ at uh, bedtime prayer time. Um, you know, mommy, wh- who are the people of God? We keep talking about the people of God. Who are they? You know, well, you know, in our house, your daddy is one of them, and your brother is, and and I am. Well, well how do I get to be one? You know, and so you go into the gospel. and It's just a great opportunity for that kind of thing to happen. And then you'd have those formal family devotional things. Whoa! Uh, remember, three little boys, and we're reading the Bible, and they're upside down, hanging on the sofa, and punching and poking and doing this stuff. And then, you know, as a as a pastor, you know, I've got my My little spiel going on here. And and then as a dad, I'm stewing. You know, they're not paying any attention to me at all. And so then I'd say, what did I just say? And then he'd repeat it verbatim. And I'm thinking, how did you do that? You know, how could you be hung upside down on the sofa, kicking the wall, and the picture's about to fall off, and you can quote whatever verse I just read. I don't know. So discipleship, I think, best works upside down uh, with your feet on the wall. And our kids have found that to be a very effective method. So...
2: I was just going to say, you mentioned one-on-one time. Um, So one of the things Tara and I noticed within the last year uh, is that our families seem to have very natural times of mommy and daddy with the four, the Nats and the Sams, going places, doing things. We even seem to have good one-on-two times, like me and the boys were going to go to t-ball or something like that, or mommy and the girls are going to go to uh, to dance. What we never really seemed to get at all was one-on-one time. And that bothered us. So we came up with a plan starting actually back in October. And this has just been its easy. It's super easy. So delightful for everybody in our family, too, is Tara and I split up the months. So we rotate months. I'm January right now. Tara's next month. I'll be March. Then she's April, so on and so forth. We go through the whole month. And since we got four and since there's four weeks in a month, basically on Daddy's month, Nathan goes first, then through the list. And uh, that week, it's Daddy and Nathan. A date so to speak now we should figure out something better to call it for the boys than a date but you get the point um, you know daddy and Nathan we go out and it's just and if he says I want to go to McDonald's man we're going to McDonald's if he says I want to go get ice cream we're going to get ice cream yesterday was daddy and Natalie and she wanted to go to Sweet Spoons and get ice cream and we went to Sweet Spoons and we got ice cream we took a Valentine's Day picture together and so you know and that's that so far has really helped to offset and there are all kinds of conversations mm-hmm. that get to come up when you're doing stuff yeah. like that
1: one other thing on discipline, um, as our kids got older enough, they were off in college, and, and we'd have these conversations as they're thinking about getting married and having kids. Um, Dad, you know what we hated, what we really just hated? is that when you were going to discipline us, um, you'd sit us down, and then you'd explain from the Bible what was wrong. Um, we hated that little, little Leviticus, yeah, uh, lamentation. Like, Please, if you just beat us or something, don't give us Bible verses, and and we, I mean, we feel bad enough, and then you put the scriptures there, and we're just like, okay, you know, I can't argue anymore. But it was an interesting thing because the word did its work. It, it, they had a respect for the scriptures and they loved loved the word of God, and so it was an interesting backdoor thing that I didn't realize was going on. And uh, so anyway, that's just a little sidebar. Even in the discipline times, they're taken back to the standard of of god's righteousness
0: so i'm hearing you talk about intentionality and taking advantage of also the natural moments that come up but but there's a purposefulness behind it and the fact that you're looking for those moments as well and so there's organized structured formal family altar type experiences where you work through the devotion or you pray around the table or whatever you do but then also just those moment of life opportunities that you take advantage of it as well. I, I tell you in my own life what's been interesting is as my kids have transitioned into adults <clears throat> it's been interesting to see how I need to continue this journey with them. And one of the things that I travel a lot, um, I'm overseas almost every other month. In, in fact I leave Thursday uh, of this week which means a couple of days when this is being filmed. And um, and so one of the things that I've done with my sons is we all work through a devotion, a devotional book together. So usually at Christmas I'll buy one for us, and sometimes it's hard to find a great one. But, but we try to find one, and then one that's dated. So wherever I am in the world, I'm reading the same passage that they are wherever they are in the world. And then we'll often text or call each other and just talk about that that passage as adults together. And so... Trying to figure out how to keep that transition going once they grow up because parenting never stops. Um, I've had some experiences lately. Uh, I'll testify parenting never <laughs> stops, and so um, and to and to be able to, to to kind of be on that same page with one another, and that and that's been kind of a cool thing for us. And and to have the adult conversations now that kind of follow up on the conversations we had as kids. So uh, let's talk for a moment if we can. All right, so. You're in the middle of real life ministry. Life's crazy. Uh, you you don't you have 24 hours in a day, and you need 27. Uh, even if ministry is going well, you need 27. Uh, when ministry is going poorly, you want 29 to make up for it. But how how did we how did you manage the time pressures? Uh, how do you make sure you're making time for your family in the middle of ministry? How did you, you know, you, you're the founding pastor of, of a mega church, you know, a large church with a lot going on.
1: Well, and you have to remember, it was 12 families. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes the pressures were more significant with a smaller group. Fair. Um, if Kathy were here, her story would, would be very simple. Um, you would come home from work. Um you'd walk through, you'd kiss me, you pat the kids on the head, whatever else, how things going, and then you'd go back and get on the phone. And uh and then you're calling people and you're trying to follow up on this and pulling up on that, and and I'm in the kitchen thinking, Yeah, we're in this together. We're in this together, you know, and, and yet the frustration of when you're home, why can't you be home? You know, and um and so she went through a process of having to identify what that was in her that was, was in because she said, you know, it would be easy to just say, well, it was because of you doing that. Well, she would be right, because I was just insensitive to what was going on there. But she came to a place where she said the lesson that God taught her in the middle of all that was, he's not yours. He's mine. And because he's mine, you need to let that go. Now, I've got to deal with him about this, but but you need to let it go. And uh, when she she told that story at a marriage conference we were doing one time, and um, I'm thinking she was talking about her first husband. Uh, that wouldn't have been me. You know, I'm thinking how do I how do I bail on this one because guilty is charged. But that was it was such a an important thing to when you're home be home where wherever you are be all there. And I was still kind of somewhere else. And and that was one of the things we had to learn how how does she without nagging or feeling like she's pushing or trying to manipulate me to do what she wanted me to do. How does she communicate to me? And she figured out how to do it. Uh, when you do this, it makes me feel like this. Well, she can't help the way she feels, so it's, it's not a charge or um, an accusation. It's just like, it, it may not even be wrong, but when you do that, that's, this is how this makes me feel. You know, and I don't want you to feel that way. Okay. That's that's good. How do we how do we fix that? You know, and so just like I say, she's all about smarter than I am, and uh, and just helping process those kind of things and learning how like you're, with the kids at home now, young, her world is very different with seven and four year olds than it was even when they were toddlers, and uh, so it's it's learning how perception as much as reality um, attaches itself to how we're managing our home time. Sure. Damien, what would you add?
2: Yeah, I think that there was, as I look back at the 10 years of my pastoral ministry, um, I think that there were some things that I I was able to do pretty well that that definitely helped. And then there's, once again, there's some things I did that I was just terrible at, admittedly. Um, You know, you just mentioned when you're there, be there. That's something that I probably was not nearly as good at learning how to do that because my mind I'm just the kind of guy that when I'm, something's on my mind and it's dominating my mind I might physically be there but it was always for me very very difficult to do that and that's probably even to this day something if there's something on my mind um, it's it's tough for me. Uh, where I, what, what I could do though and I learned how to do and I just learned to say so be it when I was in college and when I to studying to be a pastor and here studying to be a pastor, and then even afterwards I talked to all my pastoral friends I always just to be honest with you felt a lot of sort of like expectation pressure that man if you 're pastoring your sermon should be done by Thursday and uh, or you should have this prepared by this and that prepared by that and you know Friday you should just be a walker away that never worked for me it just didn 't And when kids came along, especially, I found myself in that rut doing that, trying to do that, and then there were times when time pressures were coming up, and I kind of reached a point where, and again, I had some unique things going on. I was also teaching here almost full time, and I was working on a couple other things. So I reached a point where it was, I can either get this stuff done by this moment and do what I'm kind of expected to do, or I can let that go. And I can do it tonight while everybody's asleep, or something like that. And I can spend time with my kids. And I just reached a point where I said, you know what? I'll prepare when they're asleep. I'll do something else. And I sort of, I don't, you know, some people may really still frown upon that—that I wasn't done by Friday. But I just said, so be it. I don't care. I got to put my family first. And so, those types of things I was able to do, and that helped the the emotional. Side of the that that's a harder weight than I anticipated going into ministry.
0: Yeah,
1: I finished my sermons a couple of times by Friday.
0: Did you? Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah,
1: a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: Some of those were done Sunday morning when you were walking in, <laughs> or oh, not no, no, no,
1: no. But I mean, I tell you what. It, it, somebody said one time, you um, you either choose to raise kids or raise grass. Yeah. You know, if you let your kids play in the yard and have all the neighborhood kids around, you either going to have grass or you're going to have right. kids playing and enjoying it. And I think that's the way it that is sometimes in ministry you. you you're either going to be done by Thursday at 4 or you're going to have time to go to your kid's ball game and um, you want to make sure that you've got time to do whatever you need to do to, to let them know you guys are more important to me than meeting some arbitrary deadline.
2: Yeah, and it's not that I enjoy doing sermons on a Friday night at 9 o'clock when everybody's asleep. No, I don't. But I need to be on my kids. I need to be yeah. on my wife. And,
0: and I don't know if this is descriptive or prescriptive, but I often talk about hobbies. And, and I've always known these guys, and I'm sure they pull this off somehow. Uh, in, my, in my pastoral life, well, even in my life now, I, I, I know how to play golf, but I don't play golf because I don't have time to play golf in a sense. And I often talk about how my kids were my hobbies. And so if somebody said, now, I do make really good barbecue. But besides that, uh, like, like my oldest kid was the band kid. You know, he was really good in the band. And then my daughter, who's the middle child, was a, a, a an all-star, track star, and cheerleader. In fact, became a collegiate, collegiate cheerleader. And then my youngest son, re, highly recruited football player and a good basketball player. So sports and band. And so my hobbies were wherever they needed to be, you know. And so, you know, I'm going to schedule. I mean, my schedule is going to show their schedule. And so I'm going to be at the games, and I'm going to be – but I've got to drive to the Florida to a cheer, national cheerleading competition, which is an amazing estrogen fest, that's amazing for a guy. But anyway, to go down there and scream your head off as the crazy father, you know, and and in a, a cheerleading thing, or 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 to be at the band competition. I mean, that's where I'm going to be. And so over the years, and, and it, I tried to weave some of that into ministry. Like in the small towns, sometimes when I pastored in small towns, I was the announcer for the sport event. So I was the I was the stadium announcer for my son's football games. Uh, here at North Raleigh Christian Academy, for example, for several years. And so I, I'm not only there, but I'm there. And I'm a part of his life and know the coaches and know the team, and I'm trying to participate in those things. So for years, my hobbies were my kids. where Whatever they had to do, wherever they had to go, that's where I was going to be and, and and carve that time out. And I know other guys who probably need to go out and play golf, and they need to get away on their own and do things. I get that, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying for me... That was the best plan for me. Yeah.
2: yeah, I'd jump in there. I'm I'm much the same way. I mean I, I guess I have a little bit of a emotional psychological advantage in that I am the kind of guy that just emotionally and psychologically I, I need them. And I would even here today in my role, I reach five o'clock and I'm at a point where mentally and emotionally and everything else, I'm done. And I don't care if I've got a thousand more emails sitting there. I gotta go home and see my wife. I got home. Seat. I need. I need yeah. to walk in the door, and have Samuel come up and clobber me, and then I'm okay. And that's just. I guess that's my psychological yeah. makeup. Yeah. So my relief, my joy is just kind of them.
1: Yeah, I, I was telling the class earlier today that the same idea of getting your kids' schedules, if you've got an assistant or a secretary or whatever you call, it, to to make sure she's got that. And and there's some cases where you just can't. But um, if you can, man, for those kids to look up and see their mom and their dad in the stands, um, uh, to you know, to do that—it's uh, just incalculable.
0: Sure, yeah, yeah and so that, that was a major part of, of of our existence, and still is. I mean, we still we still look at what they're doing, even as young adults now, and and still and still plan our lives around that. Um, let, let's talk a few minutes about this. So you're, you're going to a local church, and this will, this will really apply to some of the folks who are here and then also some of the folks who will be watching this. You're going to a, a, a new church. You're talking through whatever the search hiring process looks like, which is extremely varied. And you're talking to this group of people, and they're asking you about your family, and you're you're trying to articulate questions and thinking through you know what is the role of my spouse in this ministry with this church what is what what is the role of my family in this and what are the expectations of your wife and kids in terms of local church participation leadership support all that kind of stuff and how how do you how do you describe that and 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 I guess I'm also asking in a sense how do you protect them from abuse at this point maybe let's talk about that a little bit Uh,
1: well one of the first things when our kids got old enough to ask we we would typically do that we just say what's it like for you being a pk you know what did you feel like you were in a fishbowl did you feel like there was ever any sense of expectations put on you because you were the pastor's kid um, one of our kids was, I think, the only kid ever in the history of our church who was expelled from Sunday school. I, you know, uh, so you know, so uh, it was an odd thing to happen, but you know, um, so I, I guess he was treated very normally there. But, but um, most of our kids said no, they they didn't feel that fishbowl experience, and um, we're grateful for that. But we also realize that's not always the case, and and how to manage those expectations. One of the ways we told them that we will never tell you we want you to do this or that or the other because you're the pastor's son. It's like you'll never hear that from us. You, you do it because you belong to Christ. You do it because we as your parents are asking you to. Uh, if, if if I had some other calling or other ministry or other job or whatever, we would still ask you to do this. We would never ask you, well, you're the pastor's son, you have to do this. That That's the kiss of death. We would. That's just not healthy uh, for them to think that this is somehow or another tied to outward behavior to be able to make sure that my daddy's career is not impacted adversely that's just sick and we would not do that that's just inappropriate so we just ask him and um, we're just blessed that that the kids really did get that and not feel that kind of pressure
0: and so have your kids even today has their outlook toward the church remained fairly positive
1: yeah i mean our, our two younger sons are here in town and and both are in our church, uh, one of them who's been here longer is, is, uh, is a deacon there. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our middle son and his wife just blew us away a couple of weeks ago. They've only been back in Raleigh a couple of years. But they asked if we would take their two little ones out for lunch after church on Sunday. We're kind of thinking, well, yeah, what, what's up? And, well, that's they're having the uh, upper room prayer ministry training time at that time. And, and we can't take the kids and wonder you know, if you could just keep them while we go to that. You want us to keep your kids so you can go to a prayer training session? Absolutely not. Are you crazy? No, I mean, we're just like, yes, this is great. And so wanting to buy in at that level uh, was exciting for us. Uh, Our kids in the Atlanta area, um, they they are so uh, intentional about their church involvement they They right now drive over forty minutes on Sunday morning to go to the church that best meets the needs of their family and how they can plug in and really has the most impact on their two little boys for Christ and how they can both effectively be used in ministry there so um yeah, they don't hate the church or pastors, yeah. which is really encouraging, yeah, that's good, yeah, that's good.
0: Jamie, anything you want to add on that so yeah,
2: I'd say first, you know the way I look think that I approached protecting my wife and then my kids. So, again, the fact that my wife is eager with me to be in there, that really made a huge difference. And, therefore, she was typically always received very, very well. Um, But I used to say to people that in a pastorate, especially a small country church pastorate, if I can just shoot straight and be honest, (laughs) I used to say to people 90% of my job was below the surface in that, you know, I'm getting up, I'm preaching, I'm doing my thing, but I have to know the currents. I have to know what's going on there and um there were times when she would not really understand those currents as well and just go barge ahead with something and I'd say hold on baby <laughs> pull her back yeah. because I can see that if you do that even though it's super super well intended um we're going to have a major issue there and I just out of fear and protection would always try to kind of help her see that it didn't it wasn't often but there were times um, with my children, so my kids are little when we're going through all this stuff, you know, and they're not going to remember the vast majority of that phase of life. But I will say this, and if I can just be honest and transparent. So I'd, I'd always known the day was coming that I would transition here and shift to the academic side of this ministry. I still love the fact that my job is still so deeply pastoral, though, even today. I love that. But I knew this day was coming, and I was always afraid that when it would come, it would be vague to me. It wouldn't be crystal clear that now's the time. So I resigned, and actually in September, but as early as March, I pretty much know, yes, it's not a question of if. It's a question of when and how. And so I'm thinking that. As the months go on, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. June hits. There are certain reoccurring issues that had been there my entire tenure as the pastor that, once again, I need to address Long story short, by this point, the Lord's made it pretty clear it's time to go. And I just thought, well, okay, it's time to go, but now let me help figure out the transition. And, you know, it's one of those things when it's time to go, it's time to go. And the longer I stayed, the worse that got and the more obvious it got. And I remember we're still, you know, fully, totally convinced for weeks it's time to go, but let's help figure out the transition. And one night, Tara and I, it's a a Sunday night. It had been a rough Sunday. And I remember we got done with everything. We put the kids down. We went back in the bedroom. We kind of sat on our bed and kind of sitting there like, wow. And our kids will always draw pictures. And normally they're happy pictures with a big yellow sun or something like that. And I just I noticed there was a picture over there on my left on my nightstand. And I didn't really pay too much attention. But I finally looked over after Tara and I would finished the conversation. I looked down at the picture. And my son Nathan, my oldest son Nathan, had drawn a picture of him and me like he always does. And normally the pictures are it's him and it's me and it's a golf club or it's a basketball or something like that. And we've got, you know, smiles that are biologically impossible to have. They're so big. On this picture, there's a picture of him and there's a picture of me, a little guy and a big guy. And Daddy has a big frowny face. And Nathan has a big frowny face. And I sat there and I stared at it and I just began to weep. And I thought, I handed it to Taryn and I said, it's time. And, you know, through a little picture, you know, God kicks me in the rear end and says, dude, I'm telling you, it's time. And so I think, you know, the takeaway that for me, the lesson I learned is, bro, pay attention to your children. Pay attention to how they're picking up. We didn't even realize it, but they're beginning to pick up on the stress that's on Daddy, the stress that is on Mommy. And at that point I thought, no, I can't can't let this happen. It's already been clear for a long time. Now it's even clear in Nathan's mind. So, yeah.
0: and one of my experiences was, you know, I and Doctor Duke can relate to this. Was I know for sure. And you know, in my pastoral life, um, I, I never had um, I never had the opportunity to go and pastor a church that was was considered healthy when I got there. So, church revitalization has been a, a major part of of my life. And. One church I I was the fourth pastor in six years and they had the, the last business meeting they had a fist. A deacon stood up called the pastor a liar and they had a fist fight out in the parking lot before in front of the congregation and and I I hear the pastor won but I don't know if that matters but uh, so just pretty dysfunctional and 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 we and we can all say most you know all churches have some level of dysfunction you know we get that and some of these places were just kind of kind of hard and and the people weren't always really nice. And I was always really concerned. I'm a, I'm a very task-oriented, low-relationship guy, and I know that about me. And that's why I've married an extremely high-relationship uh, woman in my life. And and our oldest son struggled with it. He did. Uh, he struggled with the church for many, many years. And uh, it's been in his adult life that he's kind of come back. He never really struggled with Christ or his relationship with God. That wasn't it. It was the... It was the meanness that he saw how people treated me. Yeah. And, and, and he wanted to defend me and, and how these people were acting. And I've often said I wasn't raised in church at all. And so w- when I was saved, I've often, the first time a human being ever said they loved me was in a church. never heard that growing up. And so, uh, and so the church is an interesting creature to me. I've met the nicest, sweetest, godliest people in the church. I've also been a, a bouncer I've been a professional boxer. I fought in tough man competitions. I used to, I've been a, a, a rent collector with a baseball bat. I'm going to move over. But I also tell people that the meanest, onerous people I've ever met, yeah. I met in the church. Yeah. And I've met some pretty low-life folks over the years and uh, have some scars to prove it. And so my oldest son, he really did. He struggled with that for a long time because of the abuse that he saw us go through. So I was so thankful for Teresa. One of the things that I've said, and I'll, I'll be quiet, but one of the things that I've said, when I left the local church full-time, because I was full-time, full-time, full-time for years. That's, that was all I ever thought I was going to be and, and, and still miss it greatly. Uh, when we left local church service for me to go work at the first seminary, uh, I was at Southern for years. One of my greatest regrets in that move is that I felt like I had just taken the greatest pastor's wife out of the local church. And one of my regrets in working in seminary life is that Teresa is no longer the pastor's wife because she was the best pastor's wife I've ever known. Mm -hmm. And that made all the difference for me. I mean, it goes back to our original thought. Her Mm -hmm. calling and her commitment to that, there were days where I would have chunked it or just started punching people out, you know? And Teresa was such a calmer and such a committed person. She walks with God so much better than I do. And, and she was the greatest pastor of life I've ever known. And I regretted so much pulling her out of the local church. So figuring out how ways to get her plugged back in and allowing her to continue in her ministry has been a real crucial part of this transition in our life. Hmm. So, so that part of it makes all the difference. And so I just want to reiterate, those of you who are watching this, who you marry and, and that calling of your spouse, male or female, depending upon who you are, is crucial to this. And and that's going to be seen by your kids. Yeah. Because if you two are handling this okay at home, and you two are dealing with this in a way that's balanced and healthy, your kids are going to see that, and they're going to catch on to that, and they're going to be okay. I once had a great missionary. When I served overseas, I had a great missionary at a missionary meeting one time say this. He was an old legend of a missionary. And he just said, and we've heard this before, but he said, Always remember, because some of the folks there were in some kind of tough places at the time. It was some a pretty unstable environment. And he just reminded them that your children are never going to be safer than when their mommy and daddy are in the middle of God's will. Hmm. And so mom and dad stay in the middle of God's will and your kids are going to be safe because that's the best place for them to be where you are. So, so these, these balances of, of protection, and, and I agree, Teresa didn't know everything that was going on. And I didn't share everything with her at times, and maybe I should have more, and maybe I should have less, frankly. But you got to figure out those balances and
1: ask. You know, yeah, sometimes yeah, you just good. have to ask. That's you good. said, you know, there's there's stuff going on that I think you ought to know about and have to deal with. Um, but I don't want to I don't want to make that determination for you, and it's kind of hard for her to answer the question because she doesn't know what it is. But um, and
0: nine times out of ten, yeah. you probably handle it better than you would.
1: Oh, no it. question. Yeah. But I, I likened it to you know. A friend said it, and he said, it's kind of a graphic thing. Put this on video, and you can edit it out. But that's all he said, right. I it's said like,
0: fest earlier, You did so am already no, it. no, it's good. It's good. We can
1: work it out. Yeah. But uh, he said it's like sometimes when you when you go home and you unpack something that's happened to you uh, for your wife or your kids or something there, you feel so much better about getting it off your chest, and then they're left dealing with it. And you go back to work the next day, and, and you get it resolved, and, oh, you forgot right. to tell her that part. And so she's carrying it wondering what happened and you didn't close the loop for. And so they likened it to, you know, a little kid coming to his mommy and he's sick on his stomach and feels horrible. And he gets there and just throws up all over her. And he's going, man, I feel so much better. And he goes off and plays and she's going, glad I could help. You know, and that's how it is to be a pastor's wife sometimes. She feels like you've just erupted on her. And now she's carrying something that better wisdom may have suggested that might not have been the best thing to share. And it's a judgment call. There's, I've heard people say, well, you should just never do that. We well, that's, That doesn't speak much of your confidence in your wife's yeah. ability to handle things or your wisdom in being able to discern which is better. So that's, that's always a call that um, periodically you just have to need to kind of come back in and touch base and ask her, and she'll tell you what she thinks. Yeah. yeah.
0: One of the other things we used to always do, and, I, again, this is descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive, but Teresa and I for years, <coughs> always uh, at least once a year, Always made sure we went on a retreat together, and often uh, we used to go to like fall festivals of marriage mm-hmm. and some of these marriage enrichment experiences. That you know, I don't know if we actually attended many of the sessions. You know, we we did marriage enrichment events as a couple, so we would do couples retreats. And so a lot of times we go to these conferences to learn things that we might teach later, you know, share later, but also because it was good for us. But what was good for us was just making sure that we got away to those things. And spending some time together to where we really were focused. And, and, and the focus of getting away wasn't to go sightseeing. The focus to get away was really to think about us a little bit. And that was really crucial for me because mm-hmm. of my inability to have healthy interpersonal relationships. So yeah. it was really
1: helpful for me. Yeah. yeah one of the other things that um, our church has done for us, which I, I highly recommend if, if churches can do it, when I go overseas on a mission trip or something, um, she's considered a part of the team. And so unless there's a circumstance in which she can't go, they want her to go with me. Um, and then when our, our kids got to teen years, about somewhere on either side of their 16th birthday, uh, when they got to that age, they would take her place. And so the first, uh, the first trip was our oldest son, and we went to Eastern Europe. And the next son, uh, we took to India and Nepal, and then the last time was we to Zimbabwe and uh, Ethiopia. So just to give them a taste of what Mom and Dad had been doing and, and let them be in the ministry, you know, uh, front lines. It was extremely helpful. And then her interest and encouragement of them when they came back, uh, it, it used to get kind of comical, Thanksgiving and Christmas when we were all around the table. It, it's almost like one-upsmanship. Oh, yeah, you were in Nepal. Oh, yeah, well, let me tell you what happened in Ethiopia. Oh, yeah, well, let me, you know, and so it, it creates a different dynamic. And now we've got three daughters-in-law who are dying to go on mission trips. Um, there's just a the passion for being able to be in something like that is really encouraging. So it just gets the family thinking ministry together.
0: All right, that's good. All right, so our time's almost up for this part of this. And and for those who are watching on camera, we hope this is a blessing. And I'm going to ask for kind of some closing thoughts. For those who are here, we're going to take some time and and actually dialogue live off camera so that we can really try to minister to those who are here. Mm It, you know, here, here's a camera. Here are people who will be watching this. I'm going to make certain classes, probably use this video before it's over with, and so there will be a guaranteed audience out there. Um, here here's, here's some great tips on how to balance family and ministry. You know, what are some final thoughts? What are some great ideas? What are your, your biblical principles? Anything that you want to say challenge, encouragement, prayer? What do you, you want to say as we close this time out?
1: First to me,
0: it uh, doesn't matter. Well will let Doctor D do go. I,
2: I would say I, I think pastors tend to make pastors and their wives tend to make the same kinds of errors a lot of people make in marriage. We we tend to get to a certain point in a relationship things are functioning and then we stop working on that relationship. And you know, especially you think about it in our country, there's this mentality that a good marriage is something you're lucky to be in. You fall into it. You you know, you're just lucky that you found the right person. And it's, I mean, it's a Disney movie idea of what marriage and romance is supposed to look like. But the truth of the matter of it is, look, good marriages are not fallen into by luck. They are built piece by piece by piece by piece. And you continue to do that every single day. You continue to do that every single week, every single month, every single year. And so what I'd say to you is, man not just for your ministry's sake, though that's part of it, but, man, for your joy, for your your well-being. Man, continue to strive and continue to work and continue to pay attention. And it, it really does take both partners doing that. And so, um, you know, when you do that, it might not ever be perfect, but it will be very, very good. And um, so don't forget those basic things. You know, the, the vows that you make, that you're, it's rich or poor, sickness and in health, and the pursuit of each other. So I would say just the basic stuff. Do not lose sight of those things.
1: I think just understanding what balance is. I've heard some guys say, well, you know, God's call is not a call to balance, it's a call to, you know. Um, no, God's call is a call to obedience. And um, being an overachiever in one area does not compensate for neglect of another. And so if you are looking to somehow on a scale well I was I, I was about an eight in preaching and leading at church this week and I was only a four at home, but average out, that's not bad. That's no, that's not what God's called us to do. And so, so making sure that, that attention to the details, that, that loving your wife is Christ loved the church, that you are, are pouring your heart into your kids, that they understand the blessing of their dad and their mom. Um, I think that's huge important, that, that my wife knows how much she's valued and treasured is, is very important. But even because my, my three sons are now men in their 30s, I, I regularly have to remind them, I'm so proud of you, and I'm so blessed by you, and I can't believe I get to be your dad. They need to hear that still. And, and so telling them that, and then coming alongside their kids and bragging on the parents to their kids, even though they're small now and don't get it very much, but just to talk about their mom, your mom is an amazing wife to your daddy. You can't believe that. And just so, just using words to affirm, and then doing whatever you can to provide opportunities for the family without demands to be allowed to come together uh, is a sweet thing. Uh, we've done this for the last several years. We rent a place together in the summer, and just say it's available. If you want to come, find. If you can't get there this is not one of those command show up you know you get, but just just come well, we'll it's it's been a, a rich treasure for us so just giving that attention to let them know you're valued we really appreciate we're proud of you and uh and we think you're doing an awesome job as a dad and a husband you know it's just so important to give that word a blessing
0: Just remember that time is a currency we used to We used to spend time to make money. Now we'll spend money to save time in our culture today. And so time is a precious commodity. And to recognize intentionality, to recognize prioritization, to recognize wisdom and seeking that wisdom from God on a regular basis as you balance the calling of God to the church but a higher calling from God to your family. That's your legacy. And, and that is your primary calling and your primary discipleship responsibilities. And so remain focused on those things. So thank you gentlemen so much uh, for sharing with us tonight just for a few minutes. And I know this is going to be a blessing to so many an encouragement and a challenge. I'm sure that, I'm sure that we're going to continue to learn from our mistakes and, and also learn from the successes and be amazed at what our kids teach us. Uh, you know, I, when my, my mother and father passed away several years ago, uh, my mother died in a fairly dramatic way and, and died in my arms. And when in the back of a car, it's a long story, but when she passed away in my arms, there was this real clear moment in my mind, and it was this. I, I don't need you back for 30 seconds. I, there's nothing I need to say to you that I haven't said. There's nothing... I mean, it's not that I wouldn't want her back at that moment, but but there was just this clear thought of, of we're good, you know. And I had said everything I needed. And that, my relationship with my parents were not always that way. And so I had said everything I needed to say. She felt honored and loved. And I didn't need her back for two minutes. I didn't need her back for 30 seconds and say something I didn't say. And I always encourage people, go ahead and say it. Go ahead and do it. Honor and do it now. And, and don't have any regrets later on. Honor your children. Let them honor you. And, and honor your spouse in a way that will honor and glorify God. And, and don't have any regrets in that area.
1: John, so, just one other thought on that. Um, we're talking about it from the pastor's perspective, and, and I appreciate that. And that's what we're, we're talking to folks here in ministry. But your congregation that you're serving is not necessarily on the same page. And so part of what your task as a pastor is to be the pastor, teacher, equipper, and to help shape their thinking and to understand this. And, and so that's a part of your role as a pastor, to model it, take your days off, go on your vacations, do what you're supposed to do, show up at your kids' games, do all that. But then when you're with your leaders, to teach them. Now, yeah, don't, don't resent the time I'm taking away from the church to do these things because that's giving credibility to the ministry here. And so use those as teaching moments with your leaders so that they begin to affirm that, and then they're going to defend you to any congregation members who don't understand that yet. And so just keep reinforcing those biblical principles. All
0: right, with that great final word, we're going to close tonight. Thank you all for joining us for this part of the Authenticity Series. We look forward to seeing you and being with you next time as we continue this series together.